0: Hello and welcome to episode 5 of Social X, the monthly podcast from Humentum. My name's George Miller and I'm your host in this episode. I was delighted to have the chance recently to speak to our guest Ian McClintock at his home near London. Last year, Ian launched a new venture that brought his decades of experience in the charity sector together as the Charity Excellence Framework. It's an online toolkit tailored specifically for the sector, ...that aims to increase impact, enhance performance and get the most out of available resources. Completing online questionnaires generates a health report on your organisation... ...and then connects you with resources to help you make positive changes. And it's designed to be easy and quick to use. And it's free. Ian explains much more about the Charity Excellence Framework in our conversation. But when we met, I began by asking him about his background in a working class family in the west of Scotland.
1: We didn't have money, and my parents, when they were single, they, they then volunteered for what was then VSO, and they both went to Kenya. My dad went out there as a teacher, teaching welding and sheet metal work, and my mum went out as a nurse, and, and she worked in areas like maternity. Tuberculosis was was a big issue at that time, and they met and married out there and I was born, and, and we subsequently came back. But I've been charity volunteer for 40 years now. I got it from them. That was a gift that they gave to me, was my passion for the sector.
0: You didn't come out of university and, and go straight into the sector. You had, a, you had a whole other career before you became involved in, in charities sort of seriously and full-time.
1: Um, yes, I always wanted to be a scientist. Mathematical physics, physics, all that kind of stuff. And there was a recession. And when I came out, it was also the arrival of the microcomputer. And they just didn't need graduates. I ended up running a bar, and it was an Ex-Arm Forces bar. And it was, young felony lad, you need to get out there and, and to shut all the old guys up. I walked into a military recruiting office one day and then spent 20 years in the Royal Air Force.
0: And when you look at your career, do you kind of see a, a thread? Do you see a pattern? Or do you see chance kind of playing a big part? How do you, how do you look back on it from, from this vantage point? The military career was chance, because if
1: you'd asked me three months before whether I was going into the armed forces, I would have laughed at you. I don't regret one minute of it. I spent my life travelling the world, Hong Kong, the Middle East, America. I spent three years in Europe and working with other cultures and other people where just fantastic. I mean, the memories I've got of being in the Saudi Ara- middle of the Saudi Arabian desert and walking through the spice market and you could smell the cinnamon from 100 yards away. And the services put me through my master's in business and they also put me through things like advanced um, financial qualifications and that equipped me with the skills to, to do what I've done
0: now. So how would you describe your mindset when you approach a problem be that the running of a charity or any other. Do you think you have a a slightly unusual mindset within your sector?
1: Yes, I think in patterns, and I'm ruthlessly pragmatic. So when I walk in and I'm doing a turnaround or something like that, I look for the core issues in in what's happening. What is the mission? Where are the real strengths within the organisation? How can we reinforce those strengths? And where are the weaknesses? Where are the the, the things in the pattern that are getting in the way of people being able to do the the job properly? Because for me, you've got passionate, talented people. You've got a hugely important mission for a charity. That should be a no-fail. That should be success. And so the key is to look at how you unlock that potential and remove the barriers that are often getting in people's way.
0: And do you keep seeing the same barriers coming up Time after time.
1: Yes. We're hugely passionate and staff are quite rightly focused on the front line. But you have to make the whole organisation work. And often we're not that good at things like contracts and finance and implementing strategy. We're actually not necessarily that good at things like innovation and leading teams. It's not about having an HR policy or anything about that. It's about delegating authority and giving people freedom. It's about actively spending time investing in them. And and people say to me, we haven't got the time to develop the staff. And I go, they're our greatest asset. It is not a cost. You cannot afford to not invest in your staff when you haven't got resources. It becomes more important." You just need to think how you do it. Back-end resources have been hollowed out in a desperate effort to preserve frontline delivery. That is totally, totally understandable. We're a small organisation with a small hard-pressed team, but the same level of regulation that applies to everyone else applies to a charity, even a very small one. And we are held to higher standards. I don't disagree with that, but that actually adds to the burden. And to expect a very small team to be experts in finance and communications and strategy and risk, you can't do all of that. And in a high-pressure situation with limited resources, you're very, very hard-pressed to juggle those balls.
0: The kind of mindset that you've described yourself as having and you know, comes out in talking to you, you could presumably have made a lot more money by going and being a consultant to, to big business and solving similar kinds of problems, but on a on a bigger scale. So what is it that keeps you in the charity sector where resources are always tight and the pressures are always immediate and, and present? What, what keeps you sticking at it?
1: I don't really care about money all that much. I drive a 1.2 Honda because, frankly, I don't care about a car. I don't need it to feel good about myself. It's self-respect. It's about a sense of meaning. I think that's important. And people say to me about, you know, what have you achieved? I've been chief executive. I've done all this stuff, blah, 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 blah. And when they asked me an interview for an example, the one I always give them is we set up daycare. I found a way to leverage it in our dementia unit, and we could do it at ultra low cost by structuring these things. And I sat down with a beneficiary. And he said, oh, I've got a new pair of glasses. And I nodded and went, oh, that's very nice. And he said, no, you don't understand. My wife's got dementia. I can't go to the opticians. For three years, I haven't been able to read a newspaper. And that gave me such a buzz. I thought, I, I didn't set it up. Staff did that. They succeeded. But I had played a part in it. And the fact that we had been able to make such a difference to someone's life... Actually, for me, it was a huge
0: payback. And alongside that, you're really interested in the big picture. You're interested in the the whole charity sector, its effectiveness, its resilience, and increasing those because there are threats, aren't there? There are things in the past, such as the financial crisis of a decade ago. There have been recent scandals within the sector. And who knows what? financial or other things are on the horizon. So you're, you're really interested in the, in the health and the resilience and the effectiveness of, of the whole sector.
1: I like strategy. I actually like the ambiguity of it. Getting strategy right is fundamental to success. It is very long-term, it's very soft, it's ambiguous, but actually it's really important to do it. We haven't recovered from 2008. Something like 20% of charities are in serious financial difficulties. You can claim that that's the charity sector squawking as usual. If you look at things like free reserve levels in charities, in many they're non-existent. And demand is increasing. Austerity has driven up substantially. So we've got less money and we've got demand going up. And then you look at other factors. Trust in charities has been falling for a number of years now. And we should not be surprised about that if all you read about in the newspapers is all those horrible stories, that tends to be the picture you form of the whole sector. That is going to impact fundraising. I've heard the debate. Actually, I don't think it's if, I think it's how much. The 2018 report from the Charity Commission suggested that an increasing number of people are are really not any longer willing to give to charity. The latest Blackboard report says that charitable giving in in, in the UK is down by 4%. So you can add that into the mix. Then look at regulation. The legal partnerships came out about six months ago, saying the government response, which is, let's have lots more rules because that will make sure it all works properly. It doesn't. Is actually tying people's hands behind the backs. And you look at all those things in the round, The next recession is closer than the last, even if you take Brexit out. You add Brexit into the mix. Do I think we're going to hit a perfect storm? I don't know, and I certainly hope I'm completely wrong. But I go through all of those strategic factors. I can't see any good ones. All of the factors are pointing in the other direction. And that suggests to me that there is a serious risk of a storm heading in our direction and the sector at the moment is absolutely not resilient there is more need for us now than ever there is
0: less money and there are big risks on the horizon so did you have a period where you thought what can I do about this I can go into organizations I can I can act as a consultant I can have impact but is there something more that I can do was that was that how the thought process sort of unfolded
1: I'm, I always build new things. I'm a fixer. I always have been. And over the years, I'd done lots of consultancy for charities as a volunteer. And I, I looked to my hard drive, I'd got 500 documents. I hadn't realised I'd done that many. And I kept getting asked for them. So my friends would phone me up and say, Oh, can you do me a risk management system? And then I'd send it to them and say, Well, I, I did that one, but, but it was done for that organization, and it, 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 you need to change this, and you need to change that, and you tweak that bit. And I got really fed up of it. And I thought, all right, What I'll do is I'll make them generic. So I redesigned them all into single operational tools. So you should just give it to someone. You download your finance committee to your or whatever it happens to be. You score out the bits that don't apply to you. You add in anything extra you feel like, and you press print. And I don't have to spend 15 minutes explaining it to you. And then I thought, well, I should put these online. I, I, I've only ever been able to help about one, two, three, four charities at a time. But if I put these online, everybody could have them. And my brother-in-law, who is a software engineer, who has his own company in Germany, and he went, no, oh, no, 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 we could do better than that. And I said, no, no, I haven't got the money, I can't afford that. And he went, no, we'll offshore it, I'll show you how to do it well. And it kind of grew out of there.
0: So you'd, you'd seen after this conversation with your brother-in-law that there might, there might be something there which could be built, which wouldn't take a, an army of programmers and millions of pounds. What, what was the overall objective?
1: I started it by looking at what people needed. And I actually spent time researching the sector. We haven't got all the executive skills, so the techie knowledge about finance and tax and people isn't there everyone's really hard pressed. So whatever it was, it can't be one of these databases you spend hours putting things into. It had to be really simple to use and it absolutely had to be a practical tool. If it didn't make a change, there was no point doing it. And the final one is, I didn't have enough tools to do everything. I mean, I'm not a comms person. I am not a digital native. And what I found is when I went looking for them, The more I looked, the more I found. And there are people all over the place creating these absolutely incredible tools and guides and templates, yet we keep trying to replicate them again and again and again. And I thought, well, wait a minute. If I can create a system that just links people to all the stuff that they actually need, instead of creating it, they can just download it. And that was a big part of the system.
0: In order to get to that point where they can be directed to the things they need, they have to go through an initial process where they assess, diagnose what it is they're they're trying to do, how well they're doing it, where their shortfall is, and where they should go in order to get help. So those are the sort of of phases that that the, Mm -hmm. the framework takes them through.
1: Yes. When I set out, what people said to me is, you cannot create a model... That works for any charity because the only people who know how to run that particular organization are the people running it so what i did is i built a tool for the people running it how do you take a 10 million pound cancer charity and a fifty pound animal charity and create frameworks that are quite unique to them because they have to be what i did instead really focused It must link people to resources. It must be very simple to use. It's got to be quick to use, and it has to deliver real benefits. And by holding to that, I slowly but surely came to the point where I got what I wanted.
0: Who are the target users of this system, and then what are they greeted with?
1: The target users are anyone running a charity or a non-profit, any kind of non-profit, do you make need to make decisions about fundraising? Are you involved in communications? Do you work at board level? It's been designed that it can be used by absolutely anyone. The question is, do you want or need to use it?
0: It's not one size fits all, because when you, when you log on, when you, en- you enter some basic details about the nature and the size of your charity, that will then tailor the questions that you're going to be asked. Yes.
1: When you log on, you click everything that relates to you and nothing that doesn't. What countries do you operate in? How big are you? How many volunteers do you have? What sectors do you work in? Youth, mental health, hospices, armed forces, whatever. Your activities, property, fundraising. And every time you click one of those system will pick up specialist questions specifically for that area so when you hit save it creates a framework that absolutely totally fits with your organization
0: and it will try to capture all aspects of your organization it will go through your policies your relationships your effectiveness your planning your strategy your vision all those things will come up what what kind of user experience are you sort of offering
1: the database doesn't care about anything But what it does is it's put into eight questionnaires. Income generation, strategy, risk, governance, because that fits with organisations and how they tend to work. Within those questionnaires, it covers every single aspect of what an organisation does. It's not just about processes. It's about the people, their skills, their capacity and engagement, what they actually do. And the only analogy I've managed to come up with is a quality management system is a bit like servicing your car. You get the car serviced, the car works. The Charity Excellence Framework isn't interested in that. It says, does your car work? But what it's also really interested in, where are you going? How well are you driving? Did you remember to put the kids in the back seat? And have you brought enough Haribos to keep them happy? It's about how the organisation is successful, not whether the car works.
0: How long does it take to, to get started with it?
1: Registration's two minutes. You just click everything that applies to you, hit save, and you're done. It creates the framework.
0: And, and then the actual questionnaire is how, how much of, of an investment of time is that?
1: That depends on you. So if you're a wee charity of, of, of turnover, I don't know, 50,000 or something, they're probably quite short. You've probably got about 100 statements in total. If you're a very large charity that happens to be working in Scotland and you've got international operations and you're covering a whole series of issues, every time you click one of those buttons, it gets bigger. I reckon on average, it is about 30 minutes to score the questionnaire how long you spend talking about it and working on what comes out of that is, of course, up to you.
0: And you are being asked to assess the importance of a statement and the the degree to which you feel that you're accomplishing the, the, the idea expressed in the statement. Is that the basic structure of the questionnaire?
1: Yes. There are certain things that are really important to you and certain things that don't really matter, but the system checks all of them. So when you click Importance... It optimises reporting. So when the system reflects things back to you, it focuses and particularly highlights the things that really matter to you. Achievement is another five-star rating. One is, we're not doing anything like this at all. Five is, we've completely nailed it. And the questions are in very simple, clear, plain English. They describe what you should see without the fancy technical language. So you read it and you go, do I see this in my organisation or not?
0: Without going into the technical detail, but what what is it doing then in order to produce a a report? And in what form do you see that?
1: The key is the back end is very complicated to make the front end really simple. When you click a questionnaire, you're asked to rate it on a scale of 1 to 10, and since my last upgrade, over half the questionnaires have been 10 out of 10, so I'm quite happy with that. It then drops it into a dashboard. The top level dials are the top level stuff. The tables underneath analyze that in detail, including things like data for funders, so you can prove to them how good you are. Red is bad, green is good. I do like simple. And if you go, well, all right, it's red. What can I do with that? Double click on any number and it will then display all the underpinning statements driving that. They're in priority order. They're color coded as well. And if you go, okay, I want to do something about that. You click on the eye symbol and it brings up a dialogue box with a whole series of resources, online toolkits, templates, policies, guides. You click on them, they appear on your screen and then you just download it and it's yours and you can do with it. If you go, okay, I've got that far, but this is a bit complex for me, the new help area actually takes you to all the people that will help you. I found over 200 organisations providing free goods and services and support for the charity sector. I found pro bono, consultants, mentors, trainers. So if you go, this is a bit, much for me I could do with some help. You click on the help link and it will give you the advice lines, everything.
0: That must have been a large labour in itself in addition to building the platform and constructing the the questionnaires and the complicated back end, actually getting those resources. because These are not things that you've written yourself, these are things which are out there in the world that you are then pointing people to. After they've done the questionnaire. That must have taken a lot of planning.
1: Well, people look at the digital platform and they say it took three years. The digital platform took three months. Actually, the the, the research and analysis was six months. The modelling was the best part of two years. And
0: curating the internet has been three years. That's an ongoing task, isn't it? Keeping those things up to date. You know, making sure that when you go on the platform... The the reference is the best and the most up to date one. You must be having to check those things all the time. Yes, the
1: system helps you to tap into the huge collective expertise within the sector in keeping it up to date. I am sort of just doing the same thing.
0: People are presumably surprised that it's it's free, are they? I was surprised when I when I heard about it. I thought, where where does it tell you how much it costs to to, to join this program?
1: That's actually one of my problems. I keep having these conversations with people. And, is it free? Yes. Are the resources free? Yes. Is the quality mark free? Yes, it is. And the reason for that is, when I first looked at it, I went, look, I can build a commercial model and I can target mid sector, to the people who can afford to pay for it and who really value it. The problem is, the people that really need it haven't got any money, so I built a system for everyone.
0: So Ian, you launched last summer. What, what has happened since then? What, what, what sort of reactions are you getting?
1: People really rated it. But one of my problems is, because it can generate trillions of different frameworks, and because I built in that I can't see what people are doing, in actual fact, I had no idea what, what, what was outputting at the other end. And because the, the algorithms were so sophisticated... Actually getting them so they work for people well was difficult. So in November, I, I worked through my customer journey and that had a big success. And then I, I completely rebuilt the modelling system and it's gone down extremely well. They are now much more focused and things are are not popping out. Who's using it? Well, I, I set a cutoff of about 50,000 for small charities and I thought the very small charities are not going to use this. If it's two people and a dog, how much of people analysis do you really need? And actually, the smallest charity on it has income this year of £5,000. They value it because they all have volunteers and things around culture and how you think and innovation, and they like that. And the other thing, of course, is it allows them to tap into resources. The smaller you get the less you know about things like tax and the less able you are to find resources. So in a sense, the value of the system and system management falls away, but the value of the system in helping you ask certain questions and linking to resources gets up. And, And I'm tracking the feedback and... The, the mix reflects the whole sector. There are actually far more smaller charities, and I mean micro-charities on it, than any other. So it, it it's reflecting the sector. The people that are joining are, are from across the whole sector. There's armed forces, there's hospices, education, international charities, Northern Ireland, Scotland, I've got CICs. So it, it's kind of every man.
0: Now, you said earlier, you have no access to, the, the, to what people have answered to the questionnaires. So you don't know a particular charity, what, the, what, the, what they've said and how they scored. Nonetheless, you were showing me earlier that you can, you can get up on your screen an overview of the, of the sector by aggregating all the responses made in an anonymized way.
1: The capability That every single user has in terms of the dashboard, the drill down, the query systems, everything, is replicated on the master log. So what I actually have is my own dashboard for the entire charity sector. And it tracks every aspect of what's happening in the sector. You can analyse it in detail. You can look at safeguarding, data protection. You can look at donors. You can look at strategy. And you can analyse it in depth. And what it is, is effectively a digital data store for the whole charity sector. What I hope is that there are people who will want to use that. Because if we use that, we could inform policy making. we could decide what training courses to put on, we could decide what resources to create. Because what I'm finding when I do my curation of the internet is that if you want a 50-page report on strategic reserves you've got about half a dozen to choose from. If you actually want to work out how to reconcile a bank statement and an explanation of how to do it, because it's such a pain, you need to go to Mango's website because they've got one and they're the only people who have. And and so we need to think about how we manage these things. So when we identify issues... We're not reading about them on the front pages of the Times. We've sorted them out before they happened. And I can say at the moment, in the stakeholder assurance area, in areas like sustainability, our ability to deliver, they're all flashing amber. And everybody goes, yeah, that's because we haven't got any money. True, that is part of it. But actually, when you unpack the detail a very large amount of what's driving those amber indicators is entirely within our control. And actually, if we knew about that, if we were helping people to manage those kind of issues, then in actual fact, we could significantly build resilience in the sector without asking for large amounts of money because we haven't got any.
0: Follow that thought a little bit further and tell me maybe some of the the, the real world impacts that that looking at the sector in that way might um, might bring
1: well one thing that's come out very clearly is that strategy is amber and that particular questionnaire has been completed more than twice as many times as any other questionnaire people out there know that strategy is an issue we need to think about how we support and develop people in that way it's actually there are very few strategy training courses you can have gdpr courses up the yin yang you can get your adwords courses but we should be providing the courses that people want because the data in the master dashboard isn't my data the data in the master dashboard is what people in the charity sector are saying we should be responding to what they need not giving them what we think they should have
0: your focus thus far has been has been largely on the UK, but what what plans do you have for, for taking this international?
1: Because I had to design a system that could could, could work for all those different charities. And then, of course, I'm mean, being a Scot. We've got our own laws, thank you. Northern Ireland makes it even worse because a large part of Northern Irish law is based on Southern Irish law, but it's also got you. So I actually had to build something that could accommodate all that. Well, if you're going to accommodate all that, The system's generic. It's only the content that's UK optimised. So if you wanted to, you could convert the statements, governance, etc. And instead of uploading the code of good governance and the sports governance, blah, you could upload Indian governance resources. You could then write the whole thing into Gujarati or Hindi or whatever you wished. And then when you hit save, you've got a charity excellence framework for India or the US or South America, or anywhere that you actually want it. And I've designed it to be really, really low cost. All you would actually have to do is copy the database, patch it into the front of a new website, rewrite the internal content, and it's done, and that's it. And it would be available to everyone there.
0: So when you look, say, three years ahead, Ian, what do you hope to have achieved by then?
1: Lots and lots of people benefiting from it. What I actually want is people on the ground going, do you know what? I can run my organisation better. It's helping my life and it's making things better for me. That is ultimately the goal, and as many of them as possible. At a secondary level, instead of all these different organisations operating independently, collaboration on a strategic basis in a way that enables us to direct resources and thinking and policy and training that meets the needs of the sector and is focused on those needs. I'm not talking about new organisations, I'm literally talking about key players in the sector getting round the table three, four times a year and having a discussion using the data that's available. It would cost them nothing. And the absolute total bonus, was if there were other countries who were able to use this system to help the people in those countries, that would be absolutely perfect. That would be the dream come true.
0: Ian McClintock was our guest on the fifth episode of Social X, the monthly podcast from Humentum. You can find the Charity Excellence framework at www.charityexcellence.co.uk be sure to subscribe to the podcast on YouTube or follow Humentum on SoundCloud for more episodes. Until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye.